Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I also hope that it challenges you. And I want you to know that we are in our year in the greatest commandment, looking at this great commandment from Jesus to love God and to love people. And so I hope more than anything that this encourages you to love God and to love the people around you in a more holistic way. I also hope that you have some people around you to talk through some of these things with. And if you don't, we would love to see you at one of our Sunday gatherings or in one of our Restore groups. You can get all that information on our website at RestoreAustin.org. I hope you enjoy the message. Thanks. I'm a little nostalgic watching that video, seeing some of the series that we've walked through over the last 12 months during our year in the story. Um, Honestly, the, the year in the story was a year of study and learning for me, unlike anything I've ever experienced. But as incredible as it was, I think that I am even more excited about the year we are about to embark on, a year in the greatest commandment. So this morning, we kick off our new year by looking at what this commandment is and why it's so great, why it's so important. Are you ready? Yeah, that was terrible. Okay, are you excited? All right, let's jump in. Here we go. I want to start by saying, whether you do it consciously or subconsciously, every single one of us have these deep-seated principles that guide our lives, right? Things that we believe that help us make decisions, that frame the way that we see the world. And these principles, they have many different names. Sometimes they're called axioms or precepts or proverbs or sayings, or mottos, or morals, or phrases, or filters, or values. Sometimes they're called mission statements, or purpose statements, or vision statements, or culture statements. But they all basically boil down, no matter what we call them, to the same thing. They are these principles that guide us as we make decisions and navigate life. The things that we believe intuitively and intrinsically about the world around us that influence how we see things, And how we do things. Many times we first kind of imbibed these principles as children when we heard them from a a parent or a teacher and they've stuck with us throughout our entire lives. If you ever belong to an organization, they have most likely been shaped by these kinds of principles. If you were here during announcements earlier, I said that Restore has four core values. These are principles that guide the things that we do. But because they have so many names, we're going to unify around one term for them this morning, and that is a creed. Now, it's important to know that I'm not talking about this kind of creed, that kind of creed. Good movie, though. Good movie. I'm also not talking about this kind of creed, although, come on, right? Can you take me higher? That was good, right? That was Scott Stapp. Check them out if you don't know them. Yeah, they're great. I'm talking about the kind of creed that the Oxford Dictionary defines like this. Creed, a set of beliefs or aims which guide someone's actions. That's what we're talking about this morning, a creed, a set of beliefs or aims which guide someone's actions. As I said a moment ago, we're all influenced by creeds, we're all directed by creeds, whether we realize it or not, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Let me say this, it's not a bad thing to be guided by a creed. It's a bad thing to be guided by a bad creed. Okay? It's not a bad thing to be guided by a creed, but it is a very bad thing to be guided by a bad creed. Let me explain what I mean with a quick story. 
One of the most influential creeds in all of human history goes something like this. The ends justify the means. Raise your hand if you've heard that. The ends justify the means. It is attributed to Niccolo Machiavelli. He was an Italian, Italian politician and philosopher born in the 15th century. And although we don't see it word for word in his books, this idea of the end justifying the means is the theme that kind of undergirds much of his writings. Machiavelli published his most famous work called The Prince in 1532. And here's an excerpt. There are two ways of contending. One in accordance with the laws, the other by force. The first which is proper to men, the second to beasts. But since the first method is often ineffectual, it becomes necessary to resort to the second. Machiavelli goes on to claim that it is better for a leader to be feared than loved. He says a good leader must be willing to do anything necessary to gain and maintain power, including deception and manipulation and even violence. He argues that force should be used to purge a community of anyone who not just is a threat to the leader, but who might become a threat to the leader. For Machiavelli, the ends justify the means, the results validate the methods. That's the creed that guides him, but it's a bad thing to be guided by a bad creed. We don't know exactly when Adolf Hitler first came across Machiavelli, but we know that he kept a copy of The Prince by his bedside and read it most nights. Joseph Stalin also had a copy that he read, annotated, and would frequently, frequently return to to help him make decisions. Hitler and Stalin used every horror imaginable to gain and maintain power, and the results were the deaths of tens of millions of people. They both believed that the ends justified the means. It's not a bad thing to be guided by a creed, but it's a very bad thing to be guided by a bad creed. So what creed guides you? What creed guides you? For my friend David... It's the early bird gets the worm. David only wants to have coffee or breakfast with me at like 5.30 a.m. <laughs> That's it. Like there's no other time available in his entire life. Weekends? No. Nights? No. Before church? It's 5.30. Before church? That's fine. Like that's the only time he will hang out with me. I love him so much, but I don't love anyone at 5.30 a.m. So we don't, <laughs> we don't hang out a lot, to be honest. Sorry, David. But it's not just early rising for David. He's something called an early adopter, too. Do you know people like this, early adopters? You may even be one of these. He's the first to everything. He'll stand in line for the latest phone. He'll retweet an article seconds after it's been posted. I'm like, David, there's no way you could have read it that fast. <laughs> they literally just posted it. He's the first to jump on every new social media network. In fact, a few years ago... Google released their social media network called Google Plus. Do you remember Google Plus? It was kind of a flash in the pan. In the few weeks, the first few weeks, you had to have an invitation to join Google Plus. And as soon as I heard that, I texted David knowing he would know exactly how to get an invitation to join Google Plus. And I'm telling you, like seconds later, there were detailed instructions of how to obtain an invitation to Google Plus in my inbox from David. David lives by the creed, the early bird gets the worm. For my mom, it's actions speak louder than words. And even though it's true that my mom loves to talk, she has always been a person 
of action. Quick shout out to my mom who listens to the message podcast every week. Love you, mom. I don't know why I'm waving because she listens to the podcast, so um, yeah. But even when I was a kid, my mom modeled this creed for us. She never just talked about doing things. She like went out and did them. One time I remember she heard about the importance of composting, right? The importance of composting, how it could save money and prevent waste and so on and so forth. The next morning I woke up to sounds of hammering in our backyard. And I, I open my window and I look out and she is on all fours with some wood and chicken wire building a compost pile. She didn't just talk about it, like she went and did it. And then for the next like 12 years of my life, if I ever scraped the tiniest bit of food into the trash can or disposal, it was like, that's supposed to go in the compost pile, Zach. And I had to go all the way to pick it up, put it back on the plate, walk to the backyard, put it in the compost pile. My mom lives by the creed that actions speak louder than words. Maybe for you it's something like money doesn't grow on trees. You're kind of tight-fisted with stuff. You know that it's not easy to get money. Maybe you didn't really come from any money. And so you live by the creed money doesn't grow on trees or, or don't bite the hand that feeds you. You might not really like to, to push back against authority because it's, it's gone poorly for you before. You've seen it go poorly for someone else. Maybe for you it's measure twice, cut once. That's one of Matt Gonzalez's favorites. Measure twice, cut once. Or one commonly called Occam's razor that says the simplest explanation is the most likely. I bet I've heard my brother-in-law say, well, the simplest explanation is the most likely. So many times, like a hundred times. He's a doctor, though, so it works. To illustrate just how ingrained creeds like this are in our society, I want you to out loud finish these next few for me, okay? Better safe than... Two wrongs don't. If you snooze, two heads are. If you can't stand the heat, beggars can't be. Y'all know them. They're in you. I mean, that's kind of crazy, right? I can just read the beginnings of a bunch of random phrases, and you know every single one of them like that. You don't even think about it. It's just there. These creeds are in us. They guide us. They lead us. What creed guides you? How did you choose it? And the last and I think most vital question is what makes it so important to you? And listen, this is where the rubber really meets the road. Because whether you realize it or not, the creed or creeds that you've chosen to guide your life are just an outward expression of what you believe to be of ultimate importance. Did you catch that? The creeds that you've chosen to guide your life, they're just an outward expression of what you believe internally to be of ultimate importance. So what is most important to you? What is of ultimate importance in our world? I'm glad you asked. Because the answer to the question, what is most important, determines everything. It determines the creed by which you live your life. It determines how you make decisions, where you devote your time, how you spend your money, who you choose to be in relationship with. Quite literally, what you believe to be the most important determines your entire life's trajectory. So the question, what is most important, really, really matters. And because of the transcendent nature of this question, the, the heaviness of it, you probably aren't surprised to find out that we aren't the first people who've asked it. 
In fact, this question has been asked in cultures and communities, virtually every single one of them throughout the history of the world. But obviously, asking the question, who is asking the question, is significantly less important than who is answering the question. Am I right? Anybody can ask the question, what is most important, but who is answering the question really matters. So if you just had one person that you could ask, what's most important in this world, who would you ask? Get one shot, one person. You get to ask them, what what is of ultimate importance in my life and in this world, who would you ask? And I don't know about you, and I know it sounds cliche, but I would ask God. I would. I don't know if you walked in here this morning believing in God or not, and I hope that you know, just like our opening video says, that you are welcome here, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. But bear with me for a second. If God is real, if God is real, and if he is the creator and sustainer of the whole universe, who better to ask this question to, right? If he's real, and he made everything, and he holds everything together, then who else would know better than him what's most important? Well, here's the craziest part of all this. Someone asked God what's most important, and he answered. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was having a conversation during his time on earth with a bunch of religious leaders called Pharisees. It's recorded in Matthew's account of Jesus' life, chapter 22, verse 34. Here's what happened. One of them, one of these Pharisees, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law? There it is. This guy got to ask God our question. What is most important? important. And if if you've read much of the biblical accounts of Jesus' life, you probably know that he often likes to answer questions with more questions, right? Or he likes to answer a question with a kind of confusing story. Or he just dodges them all together and he changes the subject. That's kind of what he does a lot, but not here. Here, he just directly answers the guy's question. Verse 37, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. There it is. The answer to our question, what is most important? It's this. Love God and love others. They asked him, they asked God in the flesh, what's most important? And he didn't skirt around it, he didn't dodge it, he didn't tell a story, he didn't ask another question, he said, love God and love others. And when this Pharisee asked Jesus what the most important commandment is, he's referring to this oral and written Jewish law, which we now have in the form of the Old Testament in our Bibles. Now, you may or may not know there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament law, 613. Everything God's people had ever heard, been told, or understood about who God is and what he wants his people to do are found in those 613 commandments. That's a lot of commandments, right? It would be kind of hard to follow. It would be like attempting to live your life by 613 different creeds. It's it's impossible. They would conflict with one another. There would be too much. You couldn't remember all of them. So 
because it's basically impossible and because this religious leader knows that they haven't been able to do it for hundreds and even thousands of years. So the history of his people, he goes to Jesus and he says, narrow it down for us, Jesus. Summarize it for us, Jesus. What is most important? And Jesus answers, love God and love others. And then he even re-emphasizes just how far-reaching this command is. He says, the entire law and all of the prophets hang on these two commandments. That him, it's him saying that all of Scripture is founded on this. It's him saying that God's ultimate mission for us, that every single thing in the Christian life comes down to loving God and loving others. It is simply the greatest commandment. And it's what we're going to spend the next year diving deeply into as a church family during our year in the greatest commandment. Now, I know what some of you are thinking or asking to yourself. Some of you are like, love God and love others. That's literally like five words if you have the and. It's five. It's love God and love others. I can do math. We're going to spend an entire year studying these five words. Great question. The answer is yes. Because even though it's so beautifully simple, the greatest commandment will change absolutely everything about our lives if we truly embrace it. It becomes the guiding principle by which we live our lives. It determines, like any other creed, how we make decisions, how we spend our money, the relationships that we're in, how we spend our time. The greatest commandment, love God and love others, becomes our creed. Scholar and theologian Scott McKnight calls this the Jesus Creed. And in his book of the same name, he says this, For Jesus, love of God and love of others is the core. Love, a term almost indefinable, is unconditional regard for a person that prompts and shapes behaviors in order to help that person become what God desires. Love, when working properly, is both emotion and will, affection and action. Put in its simplest form, Jesus gave his followers a creed in order to shape their spiritual formation, in order to shape every part of their lives. And that creed has been given to us as well. This Jesus creed, this greatest commandment, has been given to you and to me. And if we want to build our lives around what is most important, we will follow the Jesus creed. We will love God and we will love others. That's what our year in the greatest commandment is all about. And it all starts with understanding the love God has for us. See, there was this guy in the Bible named John, but he actually had the craziest self-given nickname of all time. He called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He gave himself that nickname. We really only see it in writings that he wrote. He did this not because he was arrogant or because he was self-centered, but because he had experienced the incredible love of God through Jesus in a way that changed everything about his life, even his name. He was like, I can't even be called John anymore. I have experienced this love that has changed everything. I'm just going to call myself now the disciple whom Jesus loved. An even better translation of that is the disciple who encountered Jesus' love. It changed him. He met it, and it changed him. Here is how John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, talks about the love of God in one of his letters from Scripture. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 
Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is so important. Not God does love, not God loves us, not God loves others, but God is love. It's who he is. And then the last part, we love because he first loved us. Guys, the only way we can fulfill the greatest commandment of loving God and loving others is by knowing and embracing the love that God has for us. We love because he first loved us. And it's when we meet and encounter that love that it begins to flow into us and then flow through us back to him and to our neighbors around us. That's why next week we are starting this year in the greatest commandment off with a teaching series called He First Loved Us. He First Loved Us. Just five weeks of talking about how the love of God, when fully embraced, changes everything. Now that I've told you what this year is going to be about, let me finish up by telling you why it's so important. Over the last hundred years or so, the American church has been guided by many different creeds. But for the most part, I'm convinced that the Jesus Creed has not been one of them. And like I said at the beginning, being guided by a bad creed is a really bad thing. Not being guided by the Jesus Creed has done significant damage to the church, and it has caused the church to do significant damage to the people in and around it. Over the last few decades, people are fleeing the church like never before. I mean, in droves. According to a Gallup poll from earlier this year, 31 million Americans have left church over the last 20 years. 31 million Americans have left church over the last 20 years in America alone. According to LifeWay, as many as 10,000 churches close each year in America. That's about 192 churches every Sunday. 192 churches a week close in America because 31 million people are leaving. Why? I'm just gonna tell you, I think it's because we've been guided by some bad creeds. Things like God helps those who help themselves, or love the sinner, hate the sin, which really just feels like hate the sinner. Things like turn or burn. Things like doubt is the opposite of faith. Things like the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Things like if you don't work, you don't eat. Something like it'll all burn up in the end. Or God won't give you more than you can handle. Or, my personal least favorite, you can't be a Christian and be a blank. You can't be a Christian and be a Democrat. You can't be a Christian and be a Republican. You can't be a Christian and think this about this issue. You can't be a Christian and be gay. You can't be a Christian and doubt. You can't be a Christian and believe in evolution. And for the last 20 years, 31 million people have heard creeds like that and they've said, I'm out. When we are guided by bad creeds, 
bad things happen. People get hurt. They walk away from church. They walk away from faith. And even people who want to explore Christianity are told that they can't. That's why all of this matters so much. That's why we're going to spend an entire year talking about four words, five words. I can't figure it out. We're going to spend the next year at Restore centering ourselves around the Jesus Creed, around the greatest commandment, love God and love others. And we really hope that this message sticks. In fact, one of the things that we talk about all the time as a staff and leadership team is how to make things sticky for us. And that's just a dumb way of saying how do we help our Restore family members remember things and really take them to heart. So for this year in The Greatest Commandment, we decided that nothing is stickier than a literal sticker. So I want you to take this out. It's in each of your seats. I want you to pick it up and I want you to hold it because we're going to look at it together. And I will wait until all of you do this. Grab the sticker, pick it up, look at it. Thank you. You can hold it up if you would like. I want you to take this sticker Sometime today or tomorrow when you get home from church, you get at home after lunch, and I want you to put it somewhere that you're going to see it all the time. A mirror, a car, a laptop, a bag, a notebook, whatever you see on a daily basis, I want you to put this in a place that you're going to see it every single day because it's going to be our reminder to orient our lives around the greatest commandment. It's going to be our daily reminder to follow the Jesus Creed. And you may notice that there is a third phrase on there as well. Love God, love others, and then restore faith. That's on there because we truly believe that when we orient our lives and our churches around loving God and loving others, we will see people restored. And that, my friends, is why we are here, to see people experience restoration spiritually and emotionally and physically and financially and in every other way imaginable because we believe that is what God desires. We believe that he is on this great mission of restoration, that we get to join him on it, and we believe that the creed for that great mission of restoration is to love God and to love others. And we're going to wrap up this morning with a song that's all about exactly that. It's called Give Us Your Heart. The band's going to come back up, and we're going to sing this together. This song is a cry for God to pour out his love in us so that it can flow through us, back to him and to the world around us. I can't think of a better song to sing today and to come back to over and over and over again throughout this year. So will you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing.